and you know, is the next Wolverine gonna, film going to be called The Wolverine, The Quest for Adamantium? I mean, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> This is episode 54 of the Movie Bite podcast, where we discuss, praise, lament, or lampoon movies, TV shows, and more. Today is Wednesday, July 31st, 2013. I'm your host, TJ, and here with me, as far as I know, he is not a mutant. It's Chad Hopkins. How are you, Chad? I'm doing great, TJ, and uh, if I'm a mutant, it'd be a surprise to me, too. Okay, good. Well, that's good to know. (laughs) But, you know, given what we're going to be talking about, you never know. I mean, mutants are everywhere, right? Oh, that, that's true. I mean, and I guess it could be suppressed. It might pop up any time. That's right. Although, uh, you know, you're already in college, as I understand it. You've, you're having information poured in your head. And usually for the X-Men, by that time, their powers have manifested. So I think it's yeah. probably not going to happen at this point for you. So it's t- tough to, you know, not be a, a mutant. Like like uh, some of the rest of us have these, you know, superpowers and super gifts. But, you know, sometimes <laughs> you just have to suffer through it. And uh, yeah, I'll you survive. Know. You'll survive somehow, I'm sure. <laughs> All right. Well, I am uh, moseying over to my show outline here, which I did not have. Oh, here it is. Here it is. I have to have a script or I don't know what to say. Um, so why don't we dive in, uh, as has become our custom, and uh, talk about uh, some trailers. Let's do that. In a world. In a world. 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 In a world. All right, so uh, some of the trailers we're going to be talking about today uh, have to do with the upcoming film Gravity, uh, 47 Ronin. Um, In a World Clip, uh, which I have stolen her uh, from that first trailer and used for my uh, opening bite for the trailer bite section. Um, Elysium, uh, starring Matt Damon. Escape Plan, uh, starring, uh, believe it or not, Sylvester Stallone and um, Arnold Schwarzenegger. And a viral video uh, uh, talking about Trask uh, from the X-Men universe. So I'll try not to clear my throat too much during this uh, episode. So let's let's dive in here and uh, let's talk a little bit about Gravity. This is an upcoming film that I'm not quite sure what's going to be going on here, but... uh, it's kind of interesting, I think, but I'm just not quite sure what the story is or what the hook is. Or with debris, debris is from a BSE set. To repeat, I have. We have to go. We have to go. 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 We have people floating around in space, uh, in spacesuits, working on a space station with debris being scattered around. It's theater of the mind, so I have to explain it. I'm I'm not sure what what the point of this film is. I'm not sure uh, like what the story will be and how it could resolve in a way that will work. For I I just I just don't know. Like I don't know. Am I what am I missing, Chad? I don't know. I I agree with you in the sense that we don't really have a story yet. But I think right now it just looks like in. A super intense ride. I, like I'm, I'm looking forward to looking at this film, sitting in the theater, looking at how uh, the visuals are. I mean, even just from these trailers, it, it's visually like breathtaking in a way. And, sure, uh, but it takes more than that to make a film. Like, well, I, that's definitely. Yeah, and I, I'm just not quite sure. Like, when I go to the theater to see this, what am I going to be seeing? And, I mean, sure, it's it's one. I mean, there there's certainly some intensity to it. And there's uh, we we know from an, another clip and and from the trailers that Sandra Bullock's character gets detached and is floating away and being pushed away from everybody. And at some point, I assume since the film is called Gravity, she's going to be plummeting to Earth. I guess. Uh, how do you resolve that? I I don't know. I just don't know where we're going here. 
So I, I don't know. Um, right now, I'm glad, kind of glad that they're just teasing it. Maybe we'll get a little bit more story-based trailers as we get closer. Right, and I don't want um, them to give away the story. I'm not saying that. Right, I, right, I hate right. It. I hate it when they go too far with these trailers, but so far, I haven't had quite enough. Like, I, I don't know what I would be going for. I mean, obviously, I'll go see it. And, and one thing that they're doing that's very interesting, um, this is Al- Alfonso Cuaron. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. He directed uh, the third Harry Potter film, uh, which is interesting. But uh, he's the one that directed this film, and uh, he's he's doing some very interesting things with the camera. He's doing some very long takes, that, but but maintaining intensity. Like a lot of times, you build intensity with cuts. I know this as an editor. Um, but he's 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 doing something interesting where he's maintaining intensity of the shot, but he's doing it all in long takes. It's a very interesting approach. So yeah, um, it, I, I'm. I'm excited to see Sandra Bullock in a more dramatic role again. Um, the last real dramatic film that I can think of her being in was uh, The Blind Side, which she was great in. Mm. And uh, so I'm kind of glad to see her departing from comedy and taking on a more serious role like this. I'm with you. I, I don't know where it's going just yet, but I'm excited to see where it will go. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm willing to give it a chance. I just, I'm just not quite sure what's, you know, what's up with that, but, but we'll see. And, and you're right, you know, Sandra Bullock, um, at least to me, and maybe it's just the films that I've seen her in. I did not see her in the blind side. I did not see the blind side, but some other films that, you know, that I've seen her in tend to be more, uh, comedy based. Um, I'm, I'm just thinking one of my all time favorites that she's been in, uh, while you were sleeping, it was very much a comedy driven film. Um, and of course the last one that I saw her in one with Melissa McCarthy, the heat, um, again, that was comedy based and this certainly will not be that. So it will, it will be good to see her, I think in that role. So, so that's, uh, the, there's actually two clips, um, uh, that, that first one I played a little bit of, and then, um, another one that's very intense. Uh, those are both be in the show notes at moviebyte.com slash MB podcast slash 55. So that's where you'll find the show notes for this episode. Uh, the next up is 47 Ronin, starring, uh, starring Keanu Reeves, uh, who I have not seen in anything in a while. Uh, and, um, you know, Keanu Reeves, he gets this uh, kind of a bad rap for not being able to act or whatever. But this film, it looks kind of interesting, even though it looks like the same old role for Keanu Reeves. Uh, so let's, let's see what we have here. looking for someone who was sold to you. A half-breed banished from our land. Alright, I'm trying to find a way to get to a place where he talks so that we can recognize his voice. See him. He's fighting a sumo wrestler, I guess. Why did you come for me? <laughs> there he is. <laughs> All right, so that's 47 Ronin. Um, and let me just read the description of this film real quick. After a treacherous, treacherous warlord kills their master and banishes their kind, 47 leaderless samurai vow to seek vengeance and restore honor to their people. Driven from their homes and dispersed across the land, this band of Ronin must seek the help of Kai. Uh, who is played by Keanu Reeves, a half-breed they once rejected. As they fight their way across a savage world of mythical beasts, shape-shifting witchcraft, and wondrous terrors. As this exiled and slaved outcast becomes their most deadly weapon, he will transform into the hero who inspires this band of outnumbered rebels to seize eternity. 
And the trailer actually looked fairly interesting to me. Uh, and, and I, you know, could be, I'll be disappointed if I go to see it, but I don't know. There was something about it that kind of grabbed me. I don't know. What do you think? Um, I don't know. I'm not interested at this point. Maybe once we get another trailer or two, I might change my mind, but I don't know. This doesn't seem like the kind of film that I'm particularly into. Um, I'm not a big Keanu Reeves fan necessarily. Um, wait, wait, I don't no, know. Not, not a big fan. What, what do you mean? How how could you not be a big <laughs> fan? I mean, uh, you know, dude, you know, whoa, dude, like he talks like this all the time. I mean, like, whoa, how can you not, you know, I, <laughs> <laughs> I guess it does take special talent to stay that consistent. <laughs> uh, uh, I don't know. I, we'll see. But right now it's just a sort of meh for me. Yeah, I don't know. Something about it kind of grabbed me, and I have no doubt that there, there's a high chance I would be disappointed by it. The, really, the only thing that's been that good that he's been in is The Matrix. And, you know, really, it was a role that kind of worked well with him in it because he, he doesn't do well in roles that are not well suited to him. Like, like he's not a he's not a character actor. He is himself, and the role either fits right. him or it doesn't. So, uh, you know, so as long as he's cast well in it, it, it could be good. And so I'm willing to give it a chance. You know, I don't know. I I don't really have much else to say other than I'm kind of interested. Yeah, we'll see. So let's move on to Lake Bell's upcoming film, In a World, uh, which is uh, the first trailer is the clip that I play every time we do Trailer Bite. Uh, And this is is a clip from uh, the upcoming film, In a World. Jamie printed me out an article from Yahoo Health. It was all about enabling. And I realized at that point, I cannot continue to support your emotional handicap. I understand. Let me finish, okay? Okay. Sometimes I I get the feeling I've done all I could for you, kid. I mean, I've let you share my crash pad with me for years. I shared all my contacts in the biz with you. Listen, if I could break you off a piece of this voice and give it to you, I would. But I can't, because that's an impossible conceit. And the truth of the matter is, it probably wouldn't help you anyway, because let's face it, the industry does not crave a female sound. Yeah, Dad, you made me painfully aware of that my whole... Okay, so that's uh, the upcoming uh, film In a World... That's about half of the clip, um, and uh, let's see if I can find the part where I, I really like. No, no, what was it? It was, I, don't make me do it Come right now. on. I don't want to do it right now. Please, let me. Here we go. These are not the droids you're looking for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, I, I think this film looks very interesting. Um, it is rated R, so we can expect some, uh, I would assume for language and probably some suggestive material. Um, you know, so, uh, but, but it, it looks very interesting. Like, I think the story may, may have some merit and, uh, certainly it looks like it's going to have its comedy and, and things like that. So it could be quite a bit of fun. I'm intrigued by the amount of work that Bell's putting into the film. As you mentioned right. in your post, uh, she's what directing, writing, uh, producing, starring everything. Yeah. So it's like Robert Rodriguez plus one. Um, he's a guy who did the spy kids films. Oh yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. He, he, he does all that too. And he composes, uh, I haven't seen him act in his films yet, but this is sort of the same kind of role that, that she's taking. And uh, I, I'm impressed with that, and I'm hoping that it, it turns out well for her. Yeah, and I've never actually heard of Lake Bell before. Had you heard of her before this? No, not at all. I, I, I don't even recognize her face. Yeah, me either. It's So that's kind of interesting. But she seems, from the 
clips. I mean, maybe they're just pulling the best stuff. You know, obviously they would, but um, it seems from the clips and from the trailers, like she'd be a decent actress anyway. And and yeah. you know, hopefully she's a decent director and writer and producer and, and uh, <laughs> the whole works. So all those things. Yeah. So definitely intrigued. Even even you're right. Just just for the fact that she did everything for this film, and it, you know, right. it has a little bit of an indie flavor and, and flair to it, but not in a bad way. Like sometimes when I say that, I mean that disparagingly because. Indie films can tend to have really bad acting and, you know, bad writing and bad scripts. And this film it has sort of an indie flair to it, but it feels very well done, I think, from what I can tell. So, yeah. Um, and yeah. The, the premise is interesting, too, in the sense that it's taking a sort of familiar theme of parents trying to or children trying to live up to their parents' legacy. And they're sort of twisting that the, the daughter's trying to live up to her father rather than mo- uh, mother, daughter, father, son. And the, the whole idea that it's uh centralized around voice acting is really pretty interesting too yeah definitely it's not it's not really an area of um of hollywood that really gets a lot of attention there i mean to some extent you know there is the famous uh guy i cannot remember his name you see don LaFontaine. There, yeah don lafontaine yes there you go and uh you know of course he kind of uh I, I think his style is kind of what's recognized now as the voiceover style in hollywood you know in a world you know you know that right. really and i can't do anything any semblance of it i just don't have the voice <laughs> for it but um you know, it's just kind of that style. And, and so, but for the most part, other than that, you know, you, you, I think you've got like your big three or four that do those sorts of things. And then other than that, the, the voiceover work that goes on, it gets largely unrecognized. So it is a very interesting concept to kind of shine light on that dark corner of Hollywood. Um, I, I mean, not illuminated, not dark as in dark. Um, you know, so, um, yeah, very, very interesting. And, uh, you know, I do know a couple of voiceover guys. I know one really good voiceover guy who does work here locally in Nashville and doesn't really do a lot of well-known work either, but he's really good at what he does. So, you know, I kind of have an, a, an, 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 you know, I really like a good voiceover guy. And it, But see, what's interesting, I, I, I do know a couple of girls who do it too. And, you know, like – Think think about the commercial spots and the you know and stuff that you hear sometimes with girls' voices. I mean, even though we don't think of girls necessarily when we think of voiceover talent, I mean, the need for them is out there too. So, oh, anyway, for sure. I'm I'm uh, I'm going on and on about something that probably doesn't make much difference. So, <laughs> so <let's laughs> no, I, I, yeah, I think it's cool that they're tackling something new. Yeah, well, let's move on to Elysium, and uh, we have a couple of clips. I'll play just a little bit of one here uh, where Matt Damon takes on a robot. And so, uh, uh, you know, kind of, oh, this is going to play an ad. Look at that. Oh, my goodness. Trying to play a clip live on the air here. (laughs) See if. uh... Let's go, guys. Out of the cars. Guys grabbing guns. Two occupants. They are armed, and I'd like them dead. Droid! So, droids uh, are supposed to kill Matt Damon and his buddy. Boy, I'm telling you what. It, uh, that guy that was talking just there, let me back up here and find it again. Um, they are armed, and I'd like them dead. That seems like really bad acting to me. That's yeah, not it's, encouraging. It's very stale. Yes, um, I'm not, I mean, you can even just hear it in the voice, but if, if you're looking at the picture too, I recommend you check this out in the show notes. I don't know about this film. I really don't. I know Corey is all gung ho. If you've been following movie bite on Facebook and his comments and stuff, he's, uh, and, and, and on the site, he is, he's very gung ho and 
he says in the comments here, even on this this first clip that I just played, can period not period wait period. <laughs> um, so you know, but man, this this film has not shown me that it's going to be any good yet. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm being too hard on it. I'm willing to give it a chance, but I'm like you. I, I I'm not. I'm trying hard to get interested, and it's just not working for me. But I like Matt Damon most of the time. Most of the time, yeah. And and the fact that Blomkamp, even though I haven't seen it, has District Nine under his belt, and that's so well received. Maybe we'll see something really good for this film. And so I'm willing to hold out judgment uh, until we get a little bit closer, until I see the film at least. Yeah. Well, well, Ben in the chat room says that maybe that's how you have to talk to the robots. Like maybe they have a limited <laughs> understanding of, of their voice. And come on, we don't have to talk to Siri that way. I mean, come on. <laughs> come on. I, I don't buy it. I don't buy it, Ben. Don't buy it. Sorry. Um. So, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. And, and of course, I'm going to go see it. Now, here's one that kind of snuck up on me and uh, and 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 really I did not expect to like as soon as I saw Sylvester Stallone in the trailer, I saw this in the theater. I did not expect to like to the looks of this film at all, but I actually think it looks like it could be good. And, and that's surprising to me. So this is uh, Escape Plan. And here's a little bit of the trailer. The mind of a man can find works differently than someone on the outside. He sees things in a different way. A successful breakout depends on three things. Knowing the layout, understanding the routine, and help from outsider in. You got a runner. All right, so the premise here is that Sylvester Stallone's character breaks out of prisons for a living like he finds the weak spots and the vulnerabilities i guess is what i'm getting and and somebody apparently wants to put this guy away permanently uh for whatever reason and does so in a prison that is uh among others has uh uh arnold schwarzenegger um in it so um <laughs> you know you just run into arnold schwarzenegger when you're thrown in some kind of high security prison i guess <laughs> i guess so <laughs> um uh I, boy what can i say i i don't like Sylvester Stallone or Arnold Schwarzenegger. I just don't. I have yet to see film with either of those two that I like. But this looks like that I could like it. Like, I feel like they're the type of actors that could do well in certain roles, and for the most part, they've been miscast. Like, they got some, I think they got some notice with films that they were probably cast properly in, but they just had bad stories. <laughs> Rocky. <clears throat> um, you know, and uh, <laughs> um, I don't know, what's Arnold famous for? Some of the earlier films. But then... The, Terminator. Like, yeah, Terminator. There you go. Probably well cast for that. But then, like, like people, they started getting them to act in things that they were no good to act in at all, it seems like to me. And, and, and... You know, now, 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 maybe this is a film where both of them would be good again. I don't know. So I'm willing to give this a chance because the trailer looked pretty awesome, actually. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. It looks like a different kind of film for both of the actors. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen a lot of either of them. I mean, I've seen all of the Rocky films and I've seen. No, the, I haven't the poor seen. Poor thing. Most of them are okay. <laughs> really? And surprising. Uh. Surprisingly, the newest one was actually pretty good, too. I, I was impressed at. Uh, I was impressed with that one. Um, and so I think that they both have what it takes to maybe make this film pretty good. And the premise is interesting. It doesn't look like it's just Rambo or Rocky or Terminator. It it looks like something entirely different from all of that. And so I'm excited to see them try and, I don't know if, I don't know if intellectual is the right word to take on this sort of intellectual 
kind of film. Um, Go ahead. This is just music for you. <laughs> oh, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Is this distracting? Just a little bit, but it's okay. <laughs> I'm excited to see where this film goes. Rocky. <clears throat> sorry. Rocky. You know, um, I don't know. Maybe I'm just overly prejudiced because my dad really loves, bless his heart, he he really loves the Rocky films. And he watched them all the time when I was a kid. And I, maybe I'm just so sick of them. But I just, ugh, I just don't have fond memories of them at all. Wow. So anyway, yeah, I mean, you know, we'll see. We'll see. Escape Plan is uh, looking kind of interesting. So I, I did not expect to be saying that about any film that Sylvester Stallone <laughs> and Arnold Schwarzenegger had ever been in, ever. So we'll see. One more. This is a uh, a teaser viral video uh, teasing X-Men Days of Future Past. And it's one of those viral videos that I, I really enjoy these. Like it's not – it doesn't mention the film exact, specifically. It's like – a, a a commercial out from out of the world of, of the X-Men. So um, here it is. What have you been doing for the past 50 years? Do you feel safer? More secure? Because we've spent the last 50 years ensuring your peace of mind. At Trask Industries, we know there's no... Trask Industries, um, and that's... uh, I don't know a lot about the X-Men comic universe. I'm, you know, like like I've said before in the podcast, I like the uh, comic book movies. I'm not a big fan of comic books in general. Uh, But apparently Trask Industries is a big deal in the X-Men universe, from what I can tell. And, uh, you know, we're going to be talking about X-Men here in a little bit, and especially, specifically the Wolverine. uh, But we had a pretty big tease for X-Men Days of Future Past at the end of uh, the Wolverine, and now we're starting to see, you know, viral videos like this, and uh, so it's very interesting. Um, I can't say that it it does as much good for me as, like, an actual trailer showing cool stuff going on, but, you know, I, I find this type of marketing to be very interesting and effective, and, and I guess my affinity for it really started with uh, the Toy Story 3 marketing, which I felt was phenomenal, and I think they did maybe a better job than what we're seeing here. But, you know, you, uh-huh. you might remember the commercials for Lotso, Hug, and Bear that were retro, made to look retro like they were, you know, recorded on VHS from the 80s or something, you know. Yeah, and even for, like, uh, Monsters University where they had mm-hmm. the college advertisement. Yeah, so absolutely, it's... definitely. Uh, I, I don't have a lot to say about this either uh, because, like you, I'm not familiar with X-Men comics or uh, the X-Men films. Um, I, I'm interested, though, and I'm ready to see all the X-Men films to see this movie. Yeah, you know, we got to talk about this. We 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 just got to we, we got to pause for. Uh, all right, no, you know what? Let's save it. We're going to talk about the Wolverine in a minute, and that's when I'm going to uh, dive in, dive, dig my claws in, and really find out what in the world is wrong with you. We'll talk about okay. that in a minute. In the meantime, I would like to take this opportunity now that we're done with the trailer bite portion to um, to express my grief and disappointment. That Charles Schultz Peanuts is going to become a movie in 3D CGI. To that, I say, good grief, Charlie Brown. What? <laughs> it was, seriously, no, no, no. This is not cool. Not cool at all. I don't like the recent trend of like killing classics. The, they did that with the Smurfs already, Yogi Bear, the Alvin and the Chipmunks films. Right. There's a couple others. And I, I, I wrote in my notes what what's with this trend, and then I made a sub note to myself 
duh, because they make lots of money. Off I was going to say, I was going to say money. You can sum it up in yeah. one word, money. There's no yeah. doubt that this is probably going to make money. But the, yeah. but the whole idea of taking what was good about the peanuts, which which it was always a very simply hand drawn uh, cartoon, even even when it became animated, it, you know, it was it would stay very true to what its origins were, which is just this simple. It was never there was never elaborate drawing or animation or anything like that. And now we're going to make it 3D CGI. I just can't see that working very well. I think that takes the magic out of what Peanuts was. I think that I think, so I think that just completely destroys the franchise, frankly. Well, I think the way that the cartoon, uh, the animated cartoon, I should say, it was styled to be like a comic book with audio and motion. I mean, it, it's very much, like you said, it's very much in the style of the original comic strip and taking that away from the peanuts is taking away a lot of the appeal of the peanuts i think and the simplicity of the peanuts and so i i I just i would love to see a peanuts film that was drawn with 2d animation like the winnie the pooh movie was a few years ago that was really good too yeah yeah yeah, absolutely Uh, why why wouldn't they do that why would they do this to peanuts i don't know it's i i don't like it I can't. I got dislike is not a strong enough term for what I'm feeling <laughs> right now about this. So, yeah, I, I just, you know, on the one hand, you can't you can't blame the industry and the people in the industry and the, the, the producers and the studios for wanting to make money. And all they see, you know, these these guys pushing the pencils, all they see is the money. And oh, if we if we take this beloved franchise and make it cool CG 3D animation, well, we're going to make a boatload of money. So let's do that. That's all they see. On, on the one hand, you can't fault them for that because they're they you know they they've got to um, bring in the money for their investors and, and that sort of thing. But at the same time, somebody needs to be thinking of the uh, creative side of things over there and and the integrity of their products and their franchises. And you know, on the one hand, too, I mean, it's it's hard to say that the Peanuts franchise was well protected because that that thing really just got out of hand in a lot of ways. You yeah. know, um, the, the, the Peanuts stuff is everywhere, right? Like it's it's you know they they've slapped it on all kinds of different brands, but at the uh-huh. same time, I think there was still something special maintained about it. So I I don't know. I'm not happy about this. Me neither. Not happy at all. <laughs> Let's talk about one that you you've uh, posted on a movie bite since you started doing that lately, and that is the rumor that Ryan Gosling and Zac Efron uh, were being considered for Star Wars Episode Seven, and you subsequently posted that uh, Gosling at least will not be appearing in Episode Seven. So tell me a little bit about this. Yeah, okay, I saw this post, and uh, both of these actors are obviously very well known. Uh, Gosling from his various projects, and Efron especially from. High School Musical, but some of his more recent efforts and like, no, not Safe Haven, but one of those other Nicholas Sparks films that I don't care about. And uh, I can see the appeal of wanting to bring in big name faces, but I really like the the idea of using sort of no name talent, fresh meat, if you will. Um, That's what works so well with the original trilogy and even with the new trilogy, to an extent, I, I know that we don't like to talk about the new trilogy, but they, no, they stuck they don't with the exist. tradition. Right. They, they stuck with the tradition of the original trilogy, which was to get people that weren't necessarily well known for anything else and install them into the universe. And I think that worked really well for especially the first one, the first trilogy, 
Um, and so I, I, I really like to see them sort of keep to that sort of mindset. I mean, even with the original Superman film uh, back in 1978, you had a no-name person playing Superman. Um, yeah. And so I think that if they stick to that, they're going to be better off. I don't want to watch Ryan Gosling. I mean, I've I posted that he's not going to be in it. I don't want to watch Ryan Gosling being a Jedi in a Star Wars film. No, because I don't. It's Ryan either. Gosling. And I've seen him <laughs> in this film, and I've seen him in this film, and I've seen Zac Efron in this film. And I, I want to associate an actor with the new roles in Star Wars. If they want to bring back people from the previous films, sure, go ahead. I'm excited to see Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher and Harrison Ford again. But they were originally established in Star Wars, so it's okay. And so I, I'm i glad that Gosling has been debunked. I'm waiting for Efron to be debunked because honestly, I'd prefer Gosling over Efron. Um, but really, I just want new people all around. Yeah, I mean, I think Efron gets a bad rap and I don't think he's that bad, but you know, we'll see, we'll see. And oh. and the, the thing is here though too, I mean, don't you think that the, the studio, well, okay, so we had Pacific Rim and, and they kind of did that. Like you really didn't know the actors from Pacific Rim. And, right. and and that was a little bit of – I mean you can't really quite call it a flop, but it's not doing great. Um, domestically, it has not made anywhere near what they were hoping it would make. I mean the production budget was $190 million. Domestically, it has only made $86 million. Uh, foreign has brought in one hundred and forty. You know, So with those two total together, yes, it's it, it's made over the production budget but not a lot. And, you know, you know they have a lot more in it than that with the marketing and stuff. So my guess is that these studios will look at that and say, no, see, we have to get better name actors in there and we have to do, you know, we can't we can't do these original things. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah. it's frustrating. It's really frustrating because, you is. know, we, we sit here and we cry for more original content with new actors. And you got that with Pacific Rim, which I felt was a pretty decent movie. And yet it's not doing well. Yeah, well, I think I, I, I see what you're saying, but I do think that this is on a completely different level from that because star Wars has a six film uh, precedent already. And if you put star Wars in the title of a film, it's going to make money. Yeah. And and frankly, you know, maybe, maybe I was hiding under a rock, but who really heard of Hayden Christensen or Natalie Portman before star Wars? I hadn't. I I certainly, I mean, I was like seven years old when the first film came out, but I I hadn't heard of them. (laughs) Well, I was certainly older, but I had not, I had not heard of them. Uh, you know, uh, Ewan McGregor, of course, had been around, but, um, you know, I'm trying to think of the, uh, uh, well, you've got, um, Samuel L. Jackson. Uh, yeah. he'd been around, but you know, he wasn't even in the first film that much. It was kind of weird. So anyway, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I definitely see where you're coming from and I definitely don't want to see Efron or Gosling in the films for sure. No. I, I could get on board with some other, uh, you know, actors that I, that are known, but not these two. So, I don't think it has to be someone we don't know, although I see what you're saying for sure, and and I I I, I can kind of agree. So, yeah. um, yeah, that's that's uh, that's the rumor, and 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 as we know, God, and both of these links will be in the show notes. Gosling was uh, debunked; he's not going to be in the film. Efron, we haven't heard yet. So, um, I'm going to rearrange the show outline a little bit because it actually makes more sense to go ahead and talk about John Williams also as well, since we're talking about Star Wars. And uh, that is that he has uh, he has officially uh, been stated that he's going to be returning to score the new Star Wars trilogy. Um, and so uh, I'll just read a little bit here. Legendary film composer and personal favorite. This is an article of yours, Ch- Chad. John Williams has officially confirmed his involvement with the new Star Wars trilogy, with the first entry being directed by J.J. Abrams and premiering in 2015. 
In a video post on the official Star Wars blog, uh, a Star Wars YouTube channel, 81-year-old Williams talks about how he has always loved composing the scores for these films and how he still feels like he's in the galaxy far, far away. So that's uh, that's that's going to happen. And, and you know, I don't think there was ever any question in my mind that he would. And yet, you know, at the same time, J.J. has ever only worked with on, on his big stuff with uh, Michael Giacchino. So... Right. Well, see, this is how I originally saw it going. We've known for a couple of months now, I believe, that John Williams was going to at least come to score episode seven, that he'd been contacted, he'd negotiated, it was going to happen. Right. And I was like, okay, that's great. But you're 81 years old. I don't know how much longer you're going to be around. They don't know how much longer you're going to be around. I I assumed that Giacchino would be coming back to score episodes eight and nine. That. That's that's the way I saw it happening. Williams coming back for a big sort of like reunion fanfare for episode seven. And then yeah. as he sort of fades into the background, retires maybe six to smaller projects, uh, Giacchino would take over. And I was okay with that because Giacchino is a great composer too. Um, so this news sort of caught me by surprise, but uh, I, I'm glad of it. I, I think that if, if he can stick around, then it'll be really great because Star Wars really is home for John Williams. Yeah, and, and 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 here's the thing. Like, I I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that uh, John Williams would even live through the next several years long enough to score all three. I mean, I think as long as he lives, that's the plan. But you right. got to know that they're probably all going. Okay, you know, John's had a great career and a great life, and we do want him to score this, but we probably ought to have backup plan in place. You know, so maybe Giacchino's <laughs> waiting in the wings because he is 81 years old and he's, a, right. you know, he's going to do well as long as he's alive. But, uh-huh. you know, there's that question like at 81, you, you know, you you don't have any complaints if you if you you pass on at 81, you know, especially right. with the life that he's had. So so my point is uh, we may yet see someone else score Star Wars. Yeah. And of course, uh, just a little bit more on this, uh, you should, everybody should watch this video that I, that is attached to the article. Oh yes, um, definitely. He's it's, it's very cool. He talks about how he, he hasn't heard the story yet. He hasn't read any scripts and that's how he'd always prefer it. He likes sort of experiencing the surprise along with the audience. So he, he says, so he knows where to put the surprise button, uh, having not been prepared by a script. And, yeah, uh, no, it makes I sense. think that's really cool, uh, that he, he wants to sort of approach it as a fan because he is a fan. Yeah. And uh, that's great. And then watching the video, it's just great listening to him talk. He's got this really musical way of talking too, I think. Yeah. I mean, you can definitely tell uh, that, you know, the creativity is in his blood, you know, and uh, right. yeah, definitely. So definitely check that out. That'll be in the show notes. Um, and still on Star Wars news, um, Episode 7, uh, uh, executive producer Kathleen Kennedy has given an update on the production of Episode 7 uh, at Star Wars ce- uh, Celebration in Europe. Kennedy revealed that she is currently dividing her time between Lucasfilm, where she's sat in George's old office, by the way, and Bad Robot, where she's busy having extensive story meetings with J.J. Abrams and the rest of the writing team, including the Empire, including Empire Strikes Back scribe Lawrence Castan. Uh, I don't know if that's how you say that. And with that emphasis in, on story and character came up repeatedly during today's panel hosted by Warwick Davis. The story and characters are all we're talking about right now, said Kennedy. We have an amazing team at ILM who can create fantastic effects, but if we don't have a great story and characters, the effects mean nothing. I agree with that wholeheartedly and wish that George Lucas had remembered that when he made the prequels. Yeah. You know, the, the prequels seem kind of like a special effects extravaganza, so... 
Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm really glad to hear this. Um, practical effects can look really, really good. Uh, they don't need to use the CGI to sort of uh, achieve that sort of visual spectacle. And hearing Kennedy herself, who's got a great track record, uh, talking about how their approach is more on story and character here, uh, it's just really reassuring to me. Yeah, I mean, think about um, think about how much they were able to do with the original Star Wars without CGI, and think about how much more realism there was. Sometimes, right. sometimes the, the story was better off by not showing you something, or by showing you glimpses of something, or by actually having physical droids on the set, like like you know models or people in in droid suits, uh, such as three PO. And, um, you know, so um, let me read a quick excerpt here. When Warwick Davis asked what exactly was in the toolbox, Kennedy said, it's using model makers. It's using real droids. It's taking advantage of artwork that you can actually touch and feel. I agree with us so very much. CGI has really kind of gotten out of hand, I think. It's it's yeah. great. Like, CGI is great for sci-fi films and, and things where you can create spaceships and stuff. But even that... Like, um, one of the things that's uh, happening right now that I'm kind of excited about is the remastering of Star Trek The Next Generation. And they're taking all the original negatives and footage, and in, in most cases, they do have a CGI model of the Enterprise that they can sub in when the footage is just too badly damaged to be restored. But typically, they're using the model shots. And it right. looks fantastic. Like, I would argue in some cases that it looks more real than a lot of CGI. So, you know, I just think CGI has just gotten a little bit out of hand. Yeah, and I think films of the before CGI uh, have proven that they can look really well with models. Uh, you have the original Star Wars films. You have the original Back to the Future films that were also uh, special effects done by ILM. Lots of those or basically all of those were uh, model shots. Yeah, uh, there, the DeLorean flying, etc. Yeah, there's uh, very little CGI in the Back to the Future movies. Of course, it was very early for CGI with Back to the Future. I mean, when you see like the sparks and stuff on the time machine, that was all, right. you know, although that may have been hand drawn too, I may be misremembering. But in any event, um, yeah, I, you, sometimes that stuff had so, a, a more realistic feel than what we accomplish now with CGI. Uh, and part of that is the budget constraints, like, you know, sometimes it's just cheap CGI because you can make CGI look really good, but at the same time, you can achieve such a great look with models too. I just want to, I just want to see a more of a blending of what we knew and we learned back in the day and what we have now, you know, and, 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 yeah. and, and, you know, I know from my experience that, you know, shooting on, you know, green screen or blue screen. Now you can make it look so much cleaner than what they were able to do back then. You can, you, you know, even remastering like of Star Trek next generation, going back to that, the matte lines look so much cleaner. You don't, you know, you don't see telltale signs that it was shot on a blue screen, you know, et cetera. So, yeah, I, I just want to see more of a blending of of the old technology and the new technology is what I'm what I'm angling at here. Yeah. So, so the the point is that I'm liking what I'm hearing about episode seven so far. They're certainly saying all the right things, you know, and and you've got to know they've got to know that. Star Wars has had a bad rap, and the, the prequels were not that well loved by people who love Star Wars. Right. I mean, they've got to know that, right? So that's the Star Wars news. Um, let's let's talk about uh, GI Joe three, and this is uh, John M. Chu, actually, uh, who was the director of uh, the second GI Joe film, talking about GI Joe three, um, and. Uh, so somebody over at Collider, uh, Steve Weintraub, sat down with uh, John M. Chu and got the following information. Bruce Willis and Dwayne Johnson are returning. The release date is still being figured out. Reading the script, they're currently narrowing down the writer. Uh, 
regarding the script. On Retaliation, they learned that fans were okay with stretching things a little bit further, so now they can double down on the adventure part of this movie. He cautions that they won't go sci-fi, but they can push the boundaries of the world a bit more. I'm not going to go on because I had no love for that second G.I. Joe film, and it already felt like it was venturing into uh, crazy sci-fi territory, and he's like, well, they can push the boundaries a little more. I don't know. I just – Bruce Willis was wasted in the second film, and Dwayne Johnson is still not a very good actor. So no. I um, I didn't like the second film. Can't imagine why I'd want to see the third film, and uh, it frustrates me that, that the second film has done so well – and other films this year that have been far better have not done as well, such as Red 2. I yeah. just don't get it. Don't get it. Pacific yeah. Rim. You have anything to say about this? You, you seem kind uh, of quiet. I, I haven't seen any of the G.I. Joe films. I have no interest to. And uh, as for the possibility of it combining with Transformers, I'm not oh, interested yeah. in Transformers either. So, Have you seen any Transformers? I've seen the first one. Yeah, and same here. I watched the third one on a band bus by force. Okay. I haven't seen anything after the first one because it was so terrible. I swore I made an oath. No, not quite, but <laughs> I would never see star, uh, transformers ever, ever, ever again. Uh, not anything by Michael Bay. Anyway, it was yeah. so bad, so bad. Um, and yeah, so the idea, and, and I failed to mention this part of the article. They talk about the com- possibly combining transformers and, uh, GI Joe, I just, why? Why? I don't understand. It's terrible. It's a terrible idea. Well, they're both, you know, well, here's the thing. You say you have not seen the first, you haven't seen any G.I. Joe. The first one is actually worth seeing. I I rather like the first one. Okay. Um, The second one was just utter rubbish. (laughs) Yeah, that's really all I have to say about that. Just more stupidness. So let's talk about Super Cafe, shall we? This is a video, so I'll play a little bit of it. This is from How It Should Have Ended. What? We are going to be in a movie together. I know. It's going to be awesome. I have so many questions. Yeah, me too. Do you think there will be a cafe? I doubt it. What's the premise? Not sure. They're making everyone believe it's a versus movie. Versus? Like who would win in a fight? That's weird. What are they going to call it? Well, there's only one thing you can call it, I say. The Dark Knight Rises. Again. <laughs> uh, this, I, I wanted to Superman. It's 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 hard for me not to play this whole video because it's so awesome. I've watched it three or four times and it's not getting old. <laughs> I I really enjoy actually just the whole uh concept they have going on here. Uh and this is starting to become a thing. Like I don't think they expected it to become this thing, but you know, the how it should have ended videos almost always somehow try to incorporate <laughs> Superman and Batman in the cafe. <laughs> so now they've even yeah. just made the, they're starting to make these cafe videos just of Superman and Batman and it's it's hilarious. Yeah. Um, so, and, and they completely nailed this too. I mean, just like the, the whole <laughs> stupid premise of a Superman Batman versus movie. So, um, I, I like the title, uh, that he mentioned, um, here, I'll, I'll just, it's, it's and beats up Superman. Whatever. Sounds like the appropriate title to me. Come on. Let's be honest. If that's how we're naming this movie, then we should name it man of steel. The punch from space that exploded Batman's internal organs. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Or did it? Nope. <laughs> I'm going with Superman's title because that, that describes Man of Steel so much to me. Yeah. Just punching, you know, superheroes punching each other. is. 
<laughs> Although I, I mentioned this last week, I would like to point out that Batman did defeat Superman in the Dark Knight Returns graphic novel. I've heard that, yeah, which seems kind of crazy to me, but I, you know, it's kind of awesome. Uh, you should, if you don't want to read the comic, they just released an animated film version of the graphic novel. It comes in parts one and two, and they are both really good. Okay, all right, whatever. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you tell us a little bit about this Artemis Fowl thing? Because I know nothing, and you posted this on the site. So yes, okay. Artemis Fowl is uh, it's it's a children's series, I guess, is the best way to describe it. About a twelve-year-old criminal mastermind from a crime family, and he discovers the existence of fairies, which uh, not necessarily just fairies. There's fairies. There's centaurs. There's uh, goblins. It's this entire underground universe that's kept themselves hidden from uh, human civilization. And uh, it anyway, it's an eight book film series or book series. And it's very, very good. Uh, it's by Owen Colfer, E-O-I-N Colfer, C-O-L-F-E-R. And I read it first when I was a kid. And the last book of the series just came out last summer. And I- I've really enjoyed it. And I've been waiting for a film version to be announced for a very long time. And they finally announced it. Disney, who owns the book rights, is actually making the film. They're teaming up with Harvey Weinstein, uh, uh, the producer. And the script is going to be written by uh, Goldenberg. I'm trying to find his last, his first name. Um, uh, Michael Goldenberg. Michael Goldenberg. That's what I thought it was. Okay. And... I'm I'm just excited to see that this is finally in production. And the the big draw here is this might possibly turn out to be Disney's sort of Harry Potter franchise. I definitely don't think it'll be as huge as Harry Potter. But if this first film goes well, they still have six other books to base uh, to make more films out of. And certainly the author's still alive. He's still writing. If they asked him to, maybe he could come out with more material. And so um, it's. It, I'm just excited to see this finally being made. The first film is going to combine the first two books. And uh, Harvey Weinstein has a good track record. He, he produced uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, the King's Speech, the Artist, and uh, the Silver Linings playbook. And the only thing that has me worried uh, is that uh, Goldenberg is writing the script. He's the guy who wrote the script for Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, which isn't necessarily the best film of the franchise i guess is a nice way to say it well no but it was certainly a lot better than the fourth one. Oh, i definitely agree there the fourth one i hate um, I, that's the worst in the in the film series even though the book is quite good yeah me too I, I agree um the the fifth film i thought was marked david yates takeover of the franchise and he directed uh the order of the phoenix all the way through deathly hallows part two and yep. i really like what he did with the franchise yeah for the, um, for the most part, for the most yes. part. yeah I know people are sort of split over five and six. Um, six was really good. I, I really like six. I, I don't really have any problems. Well, I mean, I do have my problems, but I liked the films overall. Um, so maybe this will be okay. Um, I, I, I'm holding out judgment. We need to do a uh, episode entirely on Harry Potter sometime because there's so many rabbit trails I want to go down right now. <laughs> Sounds good. Let's not do it right now, though. Okay. We'll, we'll figure it out sometime during okay. a lull in the uh, summer releases or something. You know, after we get over the summer release hump. So, okay. um, real quick, we need to we need to move on to our main review. But you have a couple more things, so let's touch on them really briefly. And uh, so, you wanted to talk a little bit about Johnny Depp reveals that he's not too far away from quitting acting. Um, yes. So, um, wh- why was this interesting to you? 
Well, we've been talking about with the uh, recent release of The Lone Ranger that we, or at least before the release, we were talking about how Johnny Depp sort of just needs to take a break, uh, sort of step away from the same old, same roles he's always playing. And then this article came out over on Hypable.com uh, and talking about how he's realized that he says more words per year that were written for him than he says on his own terms. <laughs> and uh, which, I mean, it's, it's something intriguing. It, it's something as an actor that I guess you do need to pay attention to. You need to have your own identity. And right now he has his own identity, but it's playing the same character almost every film he's in. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, so sure. whether he quits, retires for good or not, I think this is good for him. I think he definitely needs a break. Um, he, he's a great actor. He's proven himself to be very talented in the past. And so taking a break and then maybe settling down and finding a role that isn't quote unquote crazy Johnny Depp. Uh, I, I just want him to have sort of like a swan song, I guess you could sh- say, uh, where he just comes in, plays a new character that we haven't seen him play before and does a great job with it because I think he's capable. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly, uh, I certainly understand where he's coming from. From what you're telling me, that uh, he feels like he doesn't have his own identity anymore. And and you're right, he certainly plays all the same characters in the movies these days. Yeah, um, which is really just a, a, a variations of um, of Captain Jack Sparrow. So it would be good for him to find uh, something else. So I agree. And then uh, lastly, before we dive into the X Men franchise, you want to uh, mention uh, Chad likes movies and John Carter. Yes. Um, just real quick. I, I've been, I, I recently read a book called John Carter and the Gods of Hollywood by uh, Michael D. Sellers. And I've never seen any, I hadn't seen John Carter. I hadn't read the books. I, I, I had been excited for the film, but then it flopped and I never went and saw it. And so I finally read this book, which sort of analyzes why the film failed the way it did. And it's fascinating. Uh, it's like I said, it's by Michael D. Sellers. It's on Amazon and it's awesome. Um, and so I, this week, I sort of tackled John Carter everything. I released a review of the Gods of Hollywood book. I read the first book and released a review of that. I watched the film and released a review of that. Tomorrow, I'll have a review for Michael Giacchino's score. And then Friday, it's all coming together into one giant super post about John Carter and the world of Edgar Rice Burroughs. And I just wanted to sort of plug that. It's coming Friday. And I'm really excited. It's I, I'm looking forward to getting it written and hoping to see what everybody thinks about it. Well, uh, now that you have the keys to the Movie Byte CMS, you need to uh, link up to it and stuff. I will for sure. Cool. All right, let's talk about the X Men franchise and specifically Chad. I want to find out what is wrong with you. Why have you not seen any of the X Men films before the last couple of days? I don't know. It's it's just something I. I wasn't interested in as a kid and then are, growing are, are up. Are you okay? I, are you, are you sick? Uh, is, is everything okay? I'm okay. I, I promise I'm, I'm okay. okay. Uh, it's just, I don't know. It's for some reason I just never found any appeal to it as a child at least, but that was kids. before I really got into movies. Kids these days. Oh, I tell you. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I'm definitely interested now. I just haven't gotten around to seeing all of them. And so I hadn't seen a single X-Men film ever except for parts of some of them. Until yesterday, when I watched X Men Origins, you, Wolverine, you, you've and seen then parts Wolverine. of them. You, you what now? What? what, what? My, my head seen, is exploding, Chad. You've seen <laughs> parts of. You didn't sit down and watch the film, but you saw parts of it. There's no better way to ruin a film. 
I know. I, well, I've seen the ver- the very beginning of the first film, and I've seen parts of First Class when I walked in on my roommate watching it, and then mm. I had seen the ending of X Men Origins Wolverine, but I didn't realize that's what it was. So <sighs> I, I don't know. If, 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 I can't even go on. I can't even talk. I can't. I can't. Just, I can't pull myself together here. What? What is this? What is this? <laughs> this is craziness. Just rest assured that I'm interested and I will watch them soon, I promise. This is crazy making, man. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, well, I will say that uh, the first X-Men blew me away when I first saw it. And I've even just watched it, uh, oh, it's probably been a couple of years. I was actually thinking I need to watch them all again. Um, but even recently, having watched it, you know, three or four hundred times and watching it again, it still held up for me. I still love that film. But you know what's amazing is that X2 um, – was even better. Like X2 is still my favorite film in the X-Men franchise. So of course I went to the theater all excited for, and I did not catch the first two in theater um, because I just didn't, I wasn't into movies at the time when they came out and uh, watched them on uh, home video. So uh went to the theater excited to catch uh, X-Men th- uh, the last stand, which is uh, the third X-Men film. And it was not directed by Brian Singer. And that movie was one of the most horrible movies I've ever seen in my entire life. It was so bad, and it's frustrating because it came after such a great movie, and the studio would not wait for Brian Singer to get done with Superman Returns. They wanted their X-Men film now, darn it, now! (laughs) And so they hired Brett Ratner, who basically blew up the franchise. And I think that's why we're seeing such weirdness in the franchise now, is what do you do after Brett Ratner's blow-up of the franchise and complete destruction of it? Um, well, let's go tell some prequels, I guess. And so you get X-Men Origins Wolverine. You got X-Men First Class. Now you have, finally, finally we have The Wolverine, confusingly titled, uh, which is the first film to take place after X3. And what do you do? You can't pretend the film doesn't exist unless you're willing to scratch it from canon and remake it or something. So you got to deal with it head on, and, and so that's what they've done. Uh, confusingly, this film is called The Wolverine. For those of us who were in the habit of calling the previous X-Men film Wolverine instead of X-Men Origins Wolverine, it's kind of confusing. Yeah, I can imagine. So uh, let's talk about uh, The Wolverine. Wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up. All right, so that's from the trailer for The Wolverine. Uh, it opened in theaters on July the 26th, 2013. It had a budget of $120 million. Opening weekend domestically, it only made $53.1 million, the worst opening of any X-Men film ever uh, from domestically. Now, worldwide, it is up to $150 million, so it's already over the budget. So I have a feeling that this film is going to be profitable in the end, but it's a little disappointing because it's the best X-Men film we've seen in quite a while. Um uh, the critical acclaim on Rotten Tomatoes says that although its final act succumbs to the usual cartoonish antics, The Wolverine is one superhero movie that manages to stay true to the comics while keeping casual viewers entertained. <clears throat> it was directed by James Mangold, who also did 310 to Yuma, uh, Walk the Line, and Kate and Leopold. I have only seen one of those three, and that is Kate and Leopold. Uh, writers are Mark Bomback and Scott Frank. 
starring, of course, Hugh Jackman, Teo Okamoto, Ryla Fukushima. I have no <laughs> idea how to say all these Japanese names. Hiroki Sanada, Svetlana, don't even want to pronounce her last name. She's Russian, actually. Uh, Brian T. Hall Yamanuchi and Will Yun Lee. Uh, music by Mar- uh, Marco Beltrami. You're the music guy. Uh, what do you think of his stuff? I didn't notice a lot of it. What I heard was pretty good. It's the same guy who did the music for World War Z. Okay. Uh, and what I liked about that score in particular was his use of silence mm. to uh, convey a lot of stuff that music sometimes can't convey. And I think he used that a little bit here to yeah. good effect. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and yeah, it's very much, I mean, I'm sure the director has a lot of input, but it all, often it's very much up to the uh, guy who's scoring the film uh, where you have silence and where you have music and, uh, Certainly, he's going to have a lot of influence over that. So those those definitely those creative choices can usually be attributed to the composer. So yes, that's a good a good thing to point out. And I agree. In this film, there was plenty of use of silence. There was use of mood, uh, subtle subtlety and mood changing elements as well as uh, as well as some pretty good music, just downright good music. So yeah, I think um, so too. Yeah. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the uh, story here from the show outline, Chad? Okay. Not long after the events of X-Men The Last Stand, Logan is alone and a mess and doesn't want to be bothered by people. But a Japanese man by the name of Yashida, whose life Logan saved many years ago, would like to see Logan before he dies to say goodbye. When Logan arrives in Japan, the old man instead offers to relieve him of his immortality. Logan declines, but finds himself drained of his healing ability anyway. Seems suspicious. Yashida dies, and in the ensuing family politics, his granddaughter is almost killed. Logan's instincts kick in, and he saves her sustained several bullet wounds from which he no longer is no longer able to easily recover. He sticks with the granddaughter to defend her, but there's definitely something more going on here. All right. So <clears throat> tell me, uh, did this, you had, you had not seen, uh, any of the X-Men films except for, did, now you watched the first X-Men Wolverine film, right? Yes, I did. And then you watch this one, but, but did this, but this film comes after X3. Was there a lot that didn't make sense to you? The only parts that I was a little confused about was Jean Grey at first, but I, I picked up on it and I, I've read one X-Men comic before and it's a pretty big one. And Jean Grey is uh, pretty important in that comic. And so I sort of pulled my resources together and sort of figured out what was going on. And I wasn't it wasn't too bad after that. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you, you've got in the show outline here that you were a little confused basically what you just said, but you got the gist. I, I don't see how you can actually get the gist though, without having seen the film essentially. And, and I, you know, you're on a podcast talking about it. I have to spoil it for you. And, yeah. You know, anybody who hasn't seen X3, I'm about to spoil it for you. Essentially in order to save the world, uh, in order to save her, or everybody else in the world and, and even to save her from herself, Logan has to kill Jean Grey. Because right. um, what we found out, and again, I think this could have been handled so much better. Even the premise maybe didn't even need to be this way. But because of the way Brett Ratner did it and whoever wrote it, um, Jean Grey was presumed dead at the end of X-Men 2. Only there was hints that she wasn't. Well, she wasn't. And instead now whatever barrier between her – like she had like this split personality thing going on and the other personality had took o- taken over and um, Logan had to kill her. Essentially, there's right. a lot more to it. It was very emotional, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so now he has to deal with that. And and that's that's really what a lot of the film is about. I mean, and, and for, for a dead woman, Jean Grey is in this film quite a bit as yeah. in, in Logan's head. 
So. Yeah, well, like I said, I pulled my resources. The the one X-Men comic I've read is called The Dark Phoenix Saga. And uh, it's about Jean Grey and her alternate personality, The Dark Phoenix. And it it the ending of it is very similar to the way X3 sounds as far as her death goes, where she's become all-powerful to save the world. They have to kill her. And that that's the way The Dark Phoenix Saga ends, is yeah. she, she dies. And so I, I sort of grabbed that along with what uh the way logan was talking and even i think later in the film he flat out says what happened and uh, i wasn't too confused about it i mean i could understand what he was struggling with yeah that's good yeah and and yeah basically uh gene gray is as far as i know the most powerful mutant that has ever existed right so um, I don't know. Uh, X Men comic people might might take offense at that. I don't know, but that's as far as I know. That's that's the case. So, um, you you say that in gen, in our general notes section, you say that you rated the first Wolverine film, X Men Origins Wolverine, as a two out of five stars. Yes, um, I'm going to have to go back and reevaluate both my ratings for both uh, X Men Origins and the new film, uh, just because I don't have any context right now necessarily to compare it against um i didn't hate this the first film i should say i didn't hate x-men origins uh but i i I did have a lot of issues with it and the biggest one is that he's invulnerable for the latter half of the film when all the exciting stuff is supposed to be happening and there's really not the the film now the film we're talking about now though i'm talking about uh x-men origins right now oh okay okay Uh, he's he's invulnerable Right. That's when he first. To eliminate confusion, let's refer to them as the first Wolverine movie and the second one. (laughs) Okay. The first Wolverine movie, his invulnerability was an issue to me. And I, I, from what I've heard, I think that's an issue with a lot of people is what can you do with an invulnerable hero? And I think that's a lot of the problem with Man of Steel, too. Yeah. Although, again, I I will say that he's always been invulnerable. uh, And yet, I found him to be an engaging character in the first two X Men films because it wasn't about his invulnerability. It was about him as a person and him growing and learning how to, you know, I I don't know. So, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, this film, the first Wolverine, was, I mean, obviously it was about him. And that focus on the invulnerability just sort of killed it for me because I, I didn't. I, I was rooting for him, obviously, but there wasn't anywhere to go with it. Yeah. Okay. I can see where you're coming from. I, I actually give uh, the first uh, Wolverine film uh, a three out of five. I did not hate it. Like a lot of people, just flat out hated it. Like they probably would give it a negative five out of five stars. Um, I, I didn't. I didn't hate it, and and there were certainly things to like about it, but it wasn't anything spectacular. Is kind of my feeling about it. And and this film, uh, thankfully to me, is is a far better film. Um, it's, oh, I agree. It's not in uh, X two territory, but it's really good. Um, and one of the things I think this film gets really right is Logan's character because with Logan, it's always because he is invulnerable. It's always been about his character and who he is and how he's growing as a person and what he's doing with himself and his power. And, and, you know, I think that it's not, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that Logan is uh, probably one of the most beloved characters from the movie franchise of the X-Men universe. And if not the most beloved, certainly the most well-known, like when you say the Wolverine or, or Logan uh, in association with X-Men, people know who you're talking about. So right. it's, it's no wonder why they've decided to make spinoff films of just him. 
Um, and, you know, there's a lot of, I still think there's a lot of potential there. Like, I think they could do more with him. So I, I'll be excited to see that. And this film gives me great hope for that. Um, you know, in, 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 in like I, I've alluded to, they, they could have pretended, uh, somehow in some way that X3 didn't happen or they could have just, you know, not dealt with it, but they decided to take it head on. And despite the fact that it was a bad movie, they made something good of it, I think. They said, okay, what can we do with what happened in X3? How can we continue that story and make it good? And I think this is a really great uh, movie for that. I think this, that it did just that. And and really, uh, you know, even though, you know, Jean Grey is dead, you know, you can't really improve upon her character anymore. Yet still having her here as part of Logan's memory, I think, worked really well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's kind of one of the things that I like. Let's, uh, let's turn it over to you, Chad. It's really hard to not like Hugh Jackman. And I really liked oh, yeah. him in the first Wolverine film, despite the flaws. And, and I really liked him in this film too. And, uh, making him vulnerable, taking away his invulnerability, uh, in addition to his sort of emotional vulnerability in this film really made for a great character development. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, it was a great opportunity for them. Um, and I, I have something to say about that, but I'll save it for the dislikes. Um, okay. Just, uh, but I, I did really like Hugh Jackman in this film. He, he's great in everything I've seen him in. Um, in fact, I thought everybody in this film did a pretty good job, except uh, Viper. But again, I'll talk about her later. Um, and even though I haven't seen the first or any of the other X-Men films, the end credit scene was awesome. I know we'll talk about that probably more in a little bit, but the, the I really enjoyed the end credit scene. Yeah, definitely. I did too. And and that's definitely like, like I've, I've got that broken out into its own section, which we'll get to. So, yeah. um, yeah, one of the things that this film did, I think really well is it did exactly what you were asking for in star Wars, which is to, you've got one known character and then every other character is unknown. The actors are pretty much unknown. I did certainly didn't know any of them. A lot of them are, they're pretty much all Japanese. Um, and yeah. uh, because the film starts in the United States, but then one of the Japanese characters takes him off to meet, uh, Yoshida and uh off to japan and so the rest of the film takes place in japan and that made for some really great visuals uh really great cultural difference uh you know uh, and and gave the film i think a really rich texture that i really enjoyed i agree yeah Uh, it it, it was nice to sort of be reacquainted or not reacquainted acquainted with new people new faces yeah and i think that um for the most part there was a couple of minor characters i think that that didn't do so well that had a couple of speaking parts, but I think for the most part, like especially your two leading ladies, I think they they really nailed their parts. Um, Definitely, I, I really enjoyed both of them. And and I'll, even even if I did have a little bit of confusion over which one was supposed to be the love interest, it was made clear pretty quickly. So, yeah. So anyway, yeah. Um, although I really did like the red haired uh, Japanese girl. I can't remember what her name in the film is supposed to be. Uh, not um, not Mariko. Uh, yeah. You why you kio? I don't remember how they said that. <laughs> I don't remember. Um, anyway, so I really enjoyed her character, uh, definitely, but she was a bit kind of a bit of a sidekick and not the primary love interest or the one that Wolverine was protecting. So, anyway, enjoyed her very much. Um, I also found uh, I don't know if you remember me complaining about the train sequence, uh, and I can't remember, forgive me, it all blends together if I was talking about you with about that with you or Joe. Yeah, we both talked about it. Okay. Um, I, I 
Go ahead. You you start. Well, the train sequence, I, I really hated it in the in the clip that came out with it. Uh, it felt really disjointed and disconnected. But in in the context of the film, as these things often go, it worked far better. I, I didn't have any complaints really about it. it. It did feel like a little bit like the camera was a bit too frenetic at times, but it was certainly I've seen far worse. So not complaining too much. And and yeah, that was that was actually so I, I made that a like because I expect I was expecting to dislike the film <laughs> because yeah. of things like that, and it worked fine. Yeah, the the train sequences was one of the better action sequences of the film, I thought. Yeah. Um, All right, so you've – I guess you've mentioned all your likes. I'm just looking at the show outline here. So I have uh, one more, and and that is this. The – the stakes were not extremely high. Like, you know, you take a, a film like The Avengers and there's really high stakes, right? Like the world is going to end. The aliens are going to take over unless the Avengers do something about it. That's what I'm talking about. When I'm talking about a really high stakes film. Uh, Captain America had really high stakes. You know, if he didn't stop Hydra, he was going to take over the world. Really right. high stakes. This film didn't have really high stakes. Um, it, it it was simply about saving the girl, basically. And, and, you know, yes, it, the, the stakes went up a little in the final act, and we can talk a little bit about that, but not, not a whole lot. Like, in the end, what's this guy going to do? Well, maybe maybe he could be a threat, but probably not. And, and so, yeah, the stakes weren't really high, and I actually found that refreshing. Like, not every movie can be an Avengers-style uh, high-stakes, aliens are going to take over the world film, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I, I found that very refreshing. Like, they didn't feel like they had to do that. Well, I think it was it was a great choice for them because since this film was a little bit more personal for Logan and for Wolverine and looking inside himself, what he wants out of his life or what he wants out of his death, uh, taking that and scaling down everything about the film in addition to withdrawing his emotions uh, inside of him uh, was a, a great choice to make. It, it, there was lots of similarities between the struggle he was fighting within himself mm-hmm. and the struggle uh, against Yashida. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So that brings us, I think, to our dislike category. And uh, I'm going to let you go first since you're first in the outline here. I don't I don't have a lot, uh, so a spoiler alert. <laughs> okay, well, I mean, I, I have a lot, but it's not – it's not it's – ta- it's, Okay, my big issue with this film, which I think is everybody's big issue, is the final act. Yeah, um, and I really, you know, for me, and it's not a, like a huge thing. It's just like that maybe the final little bit of the final act is really what kind of eh, you could have done that better. But it wasn't like terrible. Like everybody's just like, oh, it's a really good film. It did get the last act, and that's terrible. And I didn't feel that way about it. But maybe you yeah, did. Well, Go ahead. Well, like I said, um, it didn't count off. However, however many complaints I have right now, it's not counting off a lot from my score, yeah, uh, my rating. But anyway, my biggest problem was that his vulnerability was taken away too early. Um, I think it would have worked a lot better uh, for character growth as far as that goes if it hadn't been restored until after the big climax scene. I think it stripped the film of a good opportunity for something like Iron Man 3 did, where you have Robert Downey Jr. running around without his Iron Man suit being super without what makes him super. Mm. And I think that for lots of this film, the second Wolverine film that worked really well, you had Hugh Jackman struggling with his humanity now and he wasn't invulnerable. He wasn't Wolverine as we've known Wolverine. And so that worked. And then they took it away right before the big, the big battle. And I think that could have given him a good opportunity to, 
really show his stuff. Uh, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it does. Uh, although I have to admit that I, I thought it was, and maybe I would have, maybe like it should have come later in the film, but I was happy when Wolverine got his power back. And then, you know, it was really like kind of almost one of the very few funny moments in the film where, uh, uh, the Archer boy, uh, I can't remember what his name is, but he thinks that Wolverine is still vulnerable and that, you know, he can still be, uh, um, still doesn't have his healing ability back. And he shoots him with the arrow and then he sees him heal right there. And then he, like his face right. gets this, oh crap moment. <laughs> <You Yeah. know? laughs> See, I, um, I do think that they sort of tried to retackle his vulnerability in the sense that he was fighting the giant automantium uh, robot who could take away yeah that was my other point is like he was very vulnerable once the adamantium oh boy we should have called spoiler before you said that but yes you're right okay so spoiler alert <laughs> the adamantium robot with the superheated adamantium was you know can obviously cut right through him i right. so i think that was another way in which his vulnerability was was added back right i think it it was smart of them to try and tackle it like that but i i do think that i don't know both it goes both ways. I do like that they retackled it in that final climax scene, but I do think that without his healing, it could have given us a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, I can see where you're coming from. I don't completely agree, but I certainly see where you're coming from. Um, you know, the next thing I think is something that both of us have a problem with. So let, let me let me tackle it a little bit, and that is kind of the to me it really stems from a confusion over who the bad guys are. This film does really well at fleshing out. Logan and um and and he gives him some great character moments and flushes out his motivations and all these things but then the bad guys are just sort of there they're just sort of you know you just sort of skim over them and oh yeah well they're, they're bad guys so they're just bad you know and and uh so so that kind of leads to your dislike of Viper and uh, what was her motivation and I completely agree like um I, I guess Viper's supposed to be the primary villain although it's revealed that maybe no actually it's uh, the other guy um but what was her motivation for doing what she was doing we never got any of that uh, her character didn't get very much time to to do anything really and um yeah we we don't we don't really get a lot of her i wanted to see more of her and have her be more fleshed out as a character uh, her powers are also very unclear to me and what was with the skin shedding like i that was they're just playing at the viper name i guess yeah, i, I don't, i'm not strange. familiar with the comic character so i can't speak on that officially right but but the movie fails if it doesn't convey to me who don't read the comics what her exactly. powers are exactly and i didn't understand exactly i mean like i guess she could spit on people and their skin would boil <laughs> and and she had the weird forked tongue and apparently she can shed her skin i don't know it's weird <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it, she was a weird character and i didn't like her very much yeah, and, and it's, see, like, I wanted to like her as a villain. I feel like they could have spent a little more time with her and fixed those problems, but, you know, they didn't, so we have what we have. Um, so, uh, let's see, what else is on the uh, outline here? Um, since we're talking about the bad guys, uh, why don't you tell us a little, and this is a spoiler alert again, why don't you tell us a little bit about Yoshida? I was really upset that he was the bad guy. I, I think that the opening of the film and then the subsequent flashbacks later in the film back to that time when Logan saves his life in uh, the bombing of Nagasaki back in 1945. Uh, I thought it was a really touching sort of scene and the fact that he wanted to say goodbye to him after all these years and the, give him the offer he did. I thought it was a really sort of touching kind of thing. I, I didn't see what reason he had to be the bad guy. What, what did Logan do against him that deserved 
his actions that was deserving of his actions. See, and this is where I'm going to disagree with you. I think that this is um, uh, more in line with human nature, where he coveted what Logan had, which was invulnerability and uh, longevity. And uh, you know, nobody knows how long Logan's going to live, but he's already lived for a couple hundred years. And right. he, he, you know, he looks not a day over. Well, you know, the actor started to age, <laughs> but he's not supposed to look a day over thirty. And he didn't in the first X Men film. Um, but uh, I, I, so I think that that's kind of addressing the fundamental human nature of uh, of coveting and and taking what's not his and and that sort of thing. And I actually wanted more. Like the only reason it was weird to me is because you get a little bit of Yoshida at the beginning. You get that they plant the seed that he's after Logan's power and he's not a, necessarily maybe a good guy. And then he's gone. He's you know quote unquote dead. And you don't see or hear from him again until the very tippy end of the movie. You know, the, the yeah. um, mixing my metaphors here, the tippy top, but I'm, uh, then I changed to end. Uh, so the very <laughs> end of the film, and then he's back and he tries to take Logan's powers and then Logan actually really does kill him and that's that's it. I actually just wanted more of him. I wanted to see a little more of him as a villain. I felt like the film would have been better off for it. But Yeah, I think so too. I think this stems from what we were saying about Viper is that neither of the villains in this film were really fleshed out. Yep. Uh, there was villain confusion. And if he had been a little bit more fleshed out and we had gotten a little bit more of that seed you were talking about, then I definitely would have liked it a little bit more as far as that goes. Um, sure, looking back, I almost wrote this down in the notes. Maybe, I mean, it, it does seem a little bit suspicious that he would call him in from who knows where to offer to take away his uh, invulnerability yeah. and his uh, immortality. And so from there, I guess you can sort of surmise that he is going to be a bad guy in mm-hmm. this film. And I, I did take that away from it. But I just think, like what you were saying, if they could have fleshed that out a little bit better, then the movie would have been off better for it. And I would have liked that he was the bad guy a little bit more. Yeah, what I want to know is why he was so obsessed with adamantium. Like, what was that going to do for him? Other than the fact, of course, that he needed adamantium to actually defeat Logan because Logan is invulnerable except for you know, blazing hot adamantium. But, but right. like, it's like he wanted more, like, like he had some interest in adamantium that went beyond that. I, I didn't quite understand, you know. It, I don't know. And then, you know, one more thing about the villains. Was was Archery Boy a good guy or a bad guy? It's a bit confusing. And, and he, you know, his flip-flops are not well-defined or explained. Like, it would have been one thing if he had started out as a bad guy and then he was convinced to become a good guy. But he, like, starts out as a good guy trying to save a girl, and then he becomes a bad guy, rushes, takes the girl to Viper, and then he becomes a good guy again. It's all rather confusing. Yeah, so, I agree. So th- this film suffers from poor characterization of its villains, I think, is is what we're trying to say here. Yeah, and I think the first film uh, suffered from that a lot, too. There was lots of flip-flopping in that film as well. Yeah, although that was more clear to me and more defined, actually, even though I like this film better. Um, yeah. I, you know, I didn't feel like that nearly as much with the first X-Men film, uh, Wolverine film. Okay. You, you didn't like the shaky cam, huh? No, it seemed a little bit excessive at times. I thought it was a little bit tamer on the train scene, or at least it made a little bit more sense, I should say, on the yeah. train scene. And elsewhere, it just sort of uh, bothered me. I wasn't bothered at all by it, and I'm usually pretty sensitive to it, so I'm not sure what oh. you're complaining about there, but that's okay. okay. <laughs> um, you you um, also, uh, and I'm out of things to say for myself, so I'm I'm just looking through your stuff here. Um, you didn't like the final act? No. I, we kind of thought... touched on this, but, you know. Right. Um, what I have written here, and, I, uh, and what you have written here, um, 
the girl who had the premonitions, she's, she's a mutant. She can see when people are going to die, how are they going to die? That's the only bit of someone's life she can see. And I thought it really worked well for her backstory and establishing her character, why she's here at this point in time, uh, her significance with this family. But it, it just felt strange that she predicted Logan's death and then it didn't happen the way it was. She kept talking about how she was never wrong. And well, but here's the thing, like Logan did die or his heart stopped. And, and that's the thing, like um, she saw that in a vision and she misinterpreted it. And I think it was fine because it added a, a little bit more drama to the, to the scene, you know, even though, you know, in the back of your head, well, Logan can't die. Can he, can he, right. can he, <laughs> you know, or are they going to kill him? Is that it? You know, um, but you know, I, I, I didn't have any problem with that. Yeah. That's, that, I mean, that's a fair point. Um, it doesn't bother me as much as other parts of the final act. The, uh, as the consensus said on Rotten Tomatoes, it, it just sort of, sort of gets a little cartoony there at the very end. Yeah. Um, and, and really the, to me, it's just the very, very end. Like when, yeah. uh, when the adamantium guy is, uh, uh you know, the, the robot is screwing into Logan's bones to sap him of his, you know, super strength or whatever. Um, so yeah, uh, that, th- that to me is with a cartoony part that I didn't like. So, well, that's it. That's all I've got to say. I had a couple of general things and then we got to talk about the end credit stinger. Um, oh, for sure. But yeah, the, it, in, in, on the one hand, it was really like, wow, did they really just do that when, when, when they cut off his adamantium claws? Like that's, that's, um, the Wolverine is his, like, you think of the claws, those adamantium-covered things that come out of his hands, and they right. cut him off. Like, whoa, did they just do that? He he doesn't have his adamantium claws anymore. And, you know, is the next Wolverine gonna, film going to be called The Wolverine, The Quest for Adamantium? I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so, uh, show opener. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's like, wow, they, they really did just do that. And it was really, I think, probably one of the most intense scenes I th- to me in the film, like really the most surprising thing. Because there was a couple things they tried to surprise you on and it didn't really work. But that really worked. Like, they just cut off his claws. He doesn't yeah. have, you know, and obviously, you know, as long as he's regenerative, the bones will grow back. But you don't easily put adamantium back on those. So, right. uh yeah, so we got to see the bone claws again, which was a nice uh, reference, I suppose, to the previous film. Um, and there's apparently some confusion. I was listening to the Slash film cast, and David Chen was confused because, like, I guess I guess he was confused because he had read the comics. And what happens in this sort of scenario is that the reason the big adamantium um, robot was attaching himself and screwing into Logan's bones was to suck up the adamantium out of Logan. And so he was confused by that. Like, does is there no more adamantium in Wolverine anymore? Has or is there? Obviously, there's some because of the end credit stinger where where uh, Magneto is able to manipulate the the metal in his body. Um, so my my interpretation was that that device, at least not having known that before about the comics, my interpretation was the device was somehow to steal Logan's power, not his adamantium. That the only adamantium he's missing is the one that w- was on his bone claws. So that was my interpretation. Straight. Is that was that how you was that your interpretation as well, or am I off base here? I, I, I thought he was just trying to sap away his healing ability. Yeah, that's what because, I got. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, that's all I got. Uh, I, the sapping the adamantium wasn't what I got from it. Okay, yeah, I didn't, I didn't either. But he was confused, and, and maybe, maybe that's more of a confusion point if you've read the comics like like he had. So um, anyway, now we really have to talk about the end credits uh, stinger. 
And uh, this will be some major spoilers for everything to do with every X-Men movie ever, probably here. Um, but, um, oh, let's see. Uh, Fizz, uh, Fizz in the chat room is saying Magneto can manipulate the iron in people's blood. So I don't think that told them. Well, that, that's not exactly true. He, in order for him to do that, uh, Mike, he had to, uh, like in the second film, um, uh, Mystique had to really pump that guy full of iron supplements in order for that to happen. Otherwise, Magneto couldn't manipulate general people's blood. That, that's not the way that worked as far as I know. So um, anyway, uh, so um, you'll want to have seen all the X-Men films before you hear us talk about the end credit stinger. So I'm not encouraging you to not listen to our podcast, but maybe pause it and go watch if you haven't yet. And then Chad, you, you have Oops. no excuse. So sorry, buddy. <laughs> but you've already seen, you've already seen the, the end credit stinger. So <laughs> there <Yeah>. you go. <laughs> um, so the thing with X3 is that it had its own uh, very ending scene. And then the end credit scene, uh, which kind of negated some things that happened in the film of X3, like uh, Magneto at the end of X3 ostensibly has his power is gone because he's been filled with the drug. But then at the very end, you see him manipulate slightly like a little bit of metal. And then that's the end of the film. Like, oh, he didn't really lose his power. It was just temporarily gone, which just completely is like, oh, really? You just negated one of the primary plot points of the film. You know, and then at the there's a credit scene in X3 where um, you don't see exactly, but you, you okay. So so Professor Xavier is killed in uh, X3 toward the beginning, really annoying. Uh, but then at the very end, the credit scene, you hear uh, Patrick Stewart's voice in the hospital room uh, say um, something. I can't remember exactly what he says. He says something to the nurse. And so the idea is now that, uh, well, Professor Xavier, with all his mental powers, flung his consciousness into somebody else's body that, that had been brain dead. They kind of set that up and mentioned it earlier in the film. So you have those elements now to try to bring the X-Men universe back together. They're obviously this stinger is a big teaser for what's about to come with X-Men Days of Future Past. And even even the, the title of Days of Future Past indicates they're going to be messing with time, Right. So right. what, what's going on here? We, we see that Professor Xavier was in a wheelchair in this stinger, and he's approaching Logan in a wheelchair. But isn't he supposed to be inhabiting a different body, or is this, or is this an Xavier from a different timeline? I don't know exactly what's going on. Or is he making – because he, is a, he has all these mental powers, is he making Logan see him as he remembered him? Is he not inhabiting a different body? You know, There's all kinds of things going on. Obviously, Magneto has his complete ability to manipulate metal – I, I don't know. There's just all kinds of strange stuff going on here. And it was fairly, ex I mean, like that, that was probably the most exciting part of the film to me was this, this, uh, credit stinger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what did you, not, think... not having seen any of the X-Men films prior, prior, uh, certainly not X1, X2 or X3. Uh, what did you think? It built up a lot of suspense and I'm really excited to see the first two films at least. Um, and, I, and you kind of have to watch the third one to make it all make sense, I think, but yeah. Right. Well, I, I just, I'm not excited about watching the third one. Yeah, you shouldn't be. It's terrible. <laughs> terrible. Um, but different timeline seems to make sense to me here. Um, I, I don't know because, like I said, I'm not familiar. But uh, it I'm it built up a lot of suspense, and I'm I'm really anticipating this new X Men film now, and I, I'm hoping it's going to be good. Well, I am too because it's also the the return of Brian Singer, who directed yes. the the two best X Men film films, and. Uh, yeah, he's coming back, and I'm, I am very excited for X-Men Days of Future Past. 
we are getting into a fairly complicated timeline, and if this is about time travel, as I suspect it is, days of future past, um, it's going to probably get even more complicated. So I don't know what's going to be going on. And I, I think probably they're doing you know something with time because of how bad you know Brett Ratner did with X three. Um, yeah. So, but but so the, the timeline is getting very complicated. You know, you got the first three, which basically happen in sequence, and you know, in the near future, as they say in in the first X Men film, and then uh, X Men Origins Wolverine took place largely, mostly in the seventies. Uh, it started way earlier, but sped through that, and, and then mostly you're in the seventies. X-Men uh, First Class took place largely in the 60s, <laughs> so you went even further backwards, and now you have the Wolverine, which takes place after X3, so it's just all a little bit complicated to follow, so yeah. they, they got to do something to iron that out. I don't, yeah, well, in general, sorry. I prefer it when, when uh, films and franchises move forward and not skip around like this. Yeah, well uh- – it's definitely going to be time travel because I know that James McAvoy and Michael Fassbender are both going to be in this film as well as Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen. And they right. play the old and young versions of the same character. So, yep. uh, I mean, I, I think it's pretty safe to assume that whether these are from a different timeline or not, there's definitely time travel involved. And I'm excited about that because I really like time travel films and I hope that they do well with it. Mm, I don't necessarily like time travel, although I have seen it done well. And um, yeah. They're they're basically it can be handled well it can be done well, you know. So, yeah, I guess yeah, I we'll should see. amend it we'll to say I should amend to say I like well done time travel films because I really liked Back to the Future obviously and I really like right. Looper. Right, and there's there's kind of a couple of ways you can approach time travel, and one is the uh, multiverse theory, which is every time you travel in time, you travel to a different part of the multiverse and you spawn a new timeline. Blah blah blah. You can do that. You can you can do the Back to the Future thing, where everything you do can have the butterfly effect, and there's you know there is multiple timelines, but only one is existing at one time. You, you know, and, or then you can do the the Twelve Monkeys type of time travel, where time is fixed and you can go back in time, but it has already happened and it did happen and it will happen and etc so right like in prisoner of azkaban uh yes exactly precisely that's another that's probably one people are more familiar with prisoner of azkaban the events that unfolded unfolded because time travel had already happened and it did happen and it will happen you know it's it's all one continuous uh mobius strip if you will um so um yeah i'm i'm and the one thing that i i hope for uh future x-men movies is i would like to get to see more of professor x because he's one of my favorite characters, but he's really gotten kind of a bad uh, deal in all of these movies that he's been in. So in the first one, um, his uh, his machine kind of breaks down, and and it, because of Mystique putting the stuff in it, and you know his uh, uh, he, he's like put in some kind of a coma for a while, and so he's not there during the climax, and he's not there for a lot of the movie. And then in X two. Uh, his his uh, powers are used against him, and he just about kills everybody. And then in X three, he's killed in the first act, and it's just like, come on, let's let's have a movie that has a little bit more to do with Professor X and and Patrick Stewart. So, yeah, that, that's one of my hopes for this upcoming X Men film. Yeah, and you probably don't have an opinion on that since you haven't seen the first three films. So, yeah, soon. So, Chad, uh, what kind of a rating would you give uh, the Wolverine? I'm giving it a three and a half out of five because I did enjoy it. I thought it was definitely an improvement on the first film and I did have a few problems with it. And because I haven't seen the original ones, like I said earlier, I don't have a standard to compare it against. I don't know the other X-Men films 
once I see the other X-Men films, I'm going to have to come back and reevaluate and see whether I think more or less of it. Um, yeah. So we'll see. Yeah. But well, I, I did enjoy is, it. Yeah. It's certainly not designed to be viewed on its own necessarily. I mean, I think you can, like you did come in and, and have and enjoy certain aspects of it, but I think it is designed to be part of a larger whole. Right. And so in order for me to give it a star rating, let me frame it. And, and so the first X-Men film, I would give a four out of five stars because it was a really good film, really blew me away, really enjoyed it. X2, I would give four and a half out of five stars. X2 was amazing. It was awesome. Um, and so uh, four and a half out of five stars is what X2 gets. X3 was one of the worst films I've ever seen. I give it one out of five stars. Um, so then you've got X-Men Origins, The Wolverine. Eh, you know, it had its moments, and so I give it three out of five. Uh, X-Men Days of Future Pat. Um, no, no, no. That's the one coming up. Uh, uh, X-Men First, First Class, Class uh, three and a half out of five is probably what I'd give it. This film, I give a four out of five because it was a really solid installment. I really enjoyed it. Um, very good film, despite a couple of its little flaws. So, yeah, four out of five. So not far off for you. Cool. All right. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, as far as wrapping up there and bottom line, I definitely feel like this film is worth going to the theater and, and watching. Uh, it's, it's, it's really good. And uh, you, you recommend it as well, it looks like. Yes, I, I, I liked it. All right. Well, we haven't uh, decided yet what we're going to do next week. Um, I kind of had Turbo on the schedule, but I've also seen you know the trailers for Two Guns, and I, I think I might like to see that rather than Turbo, but um, I'm not sure which, what, what your opinion is exactly on that. Well, I've already seen Turbo, so it, it's, it's up to you. If you'd rather do Two Guns, that's fine with me. You, you don't have any desire to see two guns? No, but I will watch it for the podcast and I will gladly talk about, about it. So, I mean, it's up to you. Well, here, let, let's leave it like this. Be prepared for either one, folks. We might do okay. turbo or we might do two guns. Or if I can work my schedule out, we might do both, but probably just one because I don't think my schedule is going to allow for me to see two films between now and the next podcast. So it could be turbo or it could be two guns. You never know. We're unpredictable like that. <laughs> All right. So, Chad, where can people find uh, more of your work on the Internet besides MovieBite now that you're posting on MovieBite? Uh, but yeah. there's other places people can find you as well. Okay. I do most of my writing for ChadLikesMovies.com. Uh, the big post I was talking about earlier will be at ChadTalksMovies.com. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Twitter.com slash Chadadada, C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. Most complicated and, Twitter handle ever. <laughs> it, once you type it a few times, you get used to it, I think. Okay. Yeah, Chad. Uh, and then Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash chad.hopkins. Right. If you want to follow me on Twitter because of all my awesome opinions and things that I post, you can do that at uh, twitter.com slash tjdraperpro. Uh, that's where you can follow me at. Uh, you can also find uh, all the writing and work that I do over at moviebyte.com, M-O-V-I-E-B-Y-T-E.com. You will find the show notes for this episode at moviebyte.com slash mbpodcast slash 54 because this is our 54th episode. Uh, if you want to engage with us in a conversation uh, once this uh, episode is posted, uh, which it will be, most of you hearing it, <laughs> go to that link and there will be a comment form down there and you can talk with us. I get an email notification every time somebody comments on any post on MovieBite, so I will definitely be able to see that and uh, interact with you and talk with you about some of this stuff. If you have a different opinion, we'd love to hear it. So make sure you submit a comment there if you do. Uh, that's it for us this week. We're out of here. Have a great week, and uh, be prepared for a turbo or two guns next week. We're out. <laughs>